Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're back in the book of uh, 2 Samuel. We'll be looking at uh, chapters 15 and 16 today. Again, David is dealing with family issues. He had unresolved sin in his life. So, in retaliation for the rape of his sister, one of David's sons, Absalom, kills his other brother, another one of Absalom's uh, I mean, David's sons called Am, uh, Ammon. And so um, it's just like almost a Cain and Abel situation over and over. But David really didn't do much about it. After three years, uh, this son Absalom had been staying up uh, sort of in exile in the land of uh, Gesher, which is a little bit on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee across the River Jordan. So he had been there for three years, and then after three years, arrangements were made for Absalom to return to Jerusalem, and later he and David were reconciled. But it was kind of a half-hearted reconciliation. We don't get anything more of the reconciliation other than David kissed him. That's what we get in chapter 14 in verse 33. So supposedly they were reconciled, but it doesn't look like it was a true reconciliation. We talked last time about what a half-hearted forgiveness does. It's It doesn't resolve the sin. The sin continues. And if there's sin in our life and we don't resolve the sin completely, it's, it's a terrible thing. And if we it's the same thing as if we have unresolved forgiveness. They're both bad. So it shows how incomplete we are without Christ, what Christ can do for us. So um, in any event, um, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem and he ends up now, uh, his heart is wrong. He's uh, he's not been forgiven, and be, not look at what not being forgiven does for the son. This because of the hardness of his father's heart, uh, King David. Uh, look what happens to the son, and the chickens come home to roost. You've got, a, you know, his own son is rebelling against him, and causes David to free flee 
uh, the city of uh, Jerusalem. Now, David's on the run just like he used to be when Saul was chasing him around. So it's almost like the, uh, the punishment fits the crime. So David, in many respects, is back where he started. And so David's on the run, and instead of uh, Saul trying to kill him, now it's his son trying to kill him. Same thing, unresolved sin. So, um, unlike Saul, David is now understanding that judgment is coming. Judgment is upon him. So, unlike Saul, who uh, wants to use the Ark of the Covenant almost like a good luck charm, David doesn't do that. David doesn't take the Ark with him. And David kind of takes the position like, if this is God's judgment, let it happen to me. And so we find several examples of people testing this uh, as we go. So let's jump in and take a look. Chapter 15, verse 1. After this, Absalom, this is David's son, got himself a chariot, horses, 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. This is in Jerusalem. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for a judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, uh, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel. And Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that if I were judge in the land. So he's kind of acting like a politician. Like if somebody would just let me judge, I could do you right. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. And Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. In other words, he was standing out by this gate where normally people would go to try to get a judgment. Of course, King David doesn't have a judge out there. And so he's telling everybody he's going to be, he could be the, the judge and implying he could be the king. So all these people now are seeing Absalom is doing better work for them than David. So he's winning the hearts. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, please let me, so this is four years goes by, and he's playing the politician. Four years goes by, King David knows what Absalom's doing out there. Does he put it down? Absalom is making himself to be a judge, and David didn't tell him to do that. So again, more indecisiveness from David, because he knows that, you know, He's, you know, this sin in his family is causing all this division. Look what unresolved sin does in your family. Look what unresolved forgiveness does in your family. Look what unresolved spiritual leadership does in your family. So basically, we've got four years of David and Absalom living together. We've got unresolved sin. We've got unresolved 
forgiveness. We've got unresolved or poor spiritual leadership coming from David. So now, at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Gesher in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. So he's disguising all this as a vow to worship the Lord. And of course, this is not true. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he put, he packaged this as something he figured David would, of course, say yes to because worshiping the Lord is something this family needed just tremendously. And we don't see David, David's heart probably feels is so broken. He's on the outside now that his worship, is he doesn't feel is as good and he probably is going to agree to anything his son says, please let me go worship. And his son knows it. And look how he can use his father because his father's heart is not right on worship to start with. Verse 9, the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices he sent for Ahithophel, David's counselor from his city, Gilo, and from the conspiracy, and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. In other words, it kept snowballing. And Absalom, working like a true politician, stirring people, both the innocent and the conspirators. He's getting everybody in on it. You not only need the conspirators, you need the innocent ignorant <clears throat> to help you out. Now we're down to verse 13. So a messenger comes to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And so David knows <clears throat> Absalom now is on the move. David is a smart enough guy. He knows his life is in danger. So then David said to all his servants who were with him, at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Okay, so David's saying here, God's judgment is coming. He knows it's coming. So he's going to flee from Jerusalem, so Jerusalem doesn't come under siege and get attacked. And so David is thinking like a, the true uh, commander he really is. He's a good strategy guy, a military strategist. So he, he, you know, normally you would think, 
stands your ground. The Jerusalem is your stronghold. But David chooses a different tactic. He, he chooses to, to escape. He's done that before with Saul. He knows the country well. He probably figures, I can do this once before, I can do it again. Verse 19, then the king, uh, so, so anyway, uh, they flee Jerusalem. So then what happened is they come with um, some, some folks that are loyal. The king said to, uh, we're down to verse 19, um, Atai, the Gittite, why do you also go with us? So they're kind of going with King David. Go back, stay with the king, for you're a foreigner and also an exile from your home. So in other words, they just kind of got there. They knew that David was king, and they're following him. David realizes that, you know, they've only been there a short time. You don't need to risk your life. David is saying, no, you go home. Now, normally, if you're a king on the run, you want every follower you can get. But you see David's heart right now? It's a broken-hearted ruler. He's a broken-hearted king. He's saying, no, you go home. This is between me and the judgment that God's given me. So let me say that again. David is now, we can sort of see, get a picture that he's a broken-hearted king. He's on the run. His son's trying to kill him. He's a broken-hearted king. He's not looking for the popularity that a king on the run would, would seek out. What is he really looking for? He's looking for forgiveness from God. It's all this now he's sort of knowing is between him and God. And he's really looking for the forgiveness that he couldn't give to his own son Absalom. Isn't that interesting? Maybe why that parable of the prodigal son that Jesus taught between the, the prodigal son... And the father is so, hits to home so much because that prodigal son story is about forgiveness. And as McGee teaches, and as I remember when we were studying that, um, the, the real prodigal son was the brother of the prodigal son. And that prodigal son was the son that couldn't forgive his own brother. And so, it's a really important story here, but it's being played out now in the life of King David. He's searching for forgiveness too. We can't live without forgiveness. We can't have a family without forgiveness. We can't be a good husband without forgiveness, or a good father without forgiveness, or a good wife, or a good mother without forgiveness. We will die without forgiveness. It is our food. It is our sustenance. It is the air that we breathe is forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, we have no reconciliation with God. We're just sinners on the run from other sinners. So again, 
David's on his horses. They're out in the field. They're out in the country. They're leaving Jerusalem. They come to this little band of loyal followers. And David says, no, 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 no. You go back. Verse 20. Take your brothers with you. May the Lord show you steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Atai answered the king, As the Lord lives and my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether death or for life, there will also your servant be. And David said to Atai, Go then, pass on. So Atai passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. Okay? David said, No, you go. May the Lord show you love and faithfulness. So, this is sad. It seems like even his loyal followers, David is saying, no, you guys go on. You don't have to come fight, you know, for me. Verse 23, And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook <clears throat> Kidron with all the people passed on toward the wilderness. So they're passing over the Kid Kidron. Um, so they're basically... As I sort of envision this on the map, they're crossing over the Jordan River. And they're leaving They're leaving the promised land. And of course, the people are crying. The king is leaving the promised land. And they're going now out into the wilderness. So it's a sad thing. People are weeping. Verse 24, and... Avatar came up, and behold, now, who was Avatar? Well, it looks like he was um, one of David's uh, commanders, or um, Zadok came with him also with all the Levites bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. So they came with David. And said, you know, here you go, king. We have the ark with you. The ark of the covenant is with you. God is with you. They set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and its dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. So, again, David is not looking for popularity among the people, and he's not using the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm. He is ready for judgment. This whole thing is playing out as a broken-hearted king looking for forgiveness. Let God do what he wants with me. Now we drop down to verse 30. But David goes up to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered. It looks like if he's going up to the Mount of Olives... Um, he probably hasn't crossed over the Jordan just yet. 
just to kind of keep our timeline in line. So he's probably now outside of the city of Jerusalem. So he goes up on the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their head, and they went up with him. Of course, this was the Mount of Olives, is place where Jesus went a lot, too. Isn't that interesting? And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went, and it was told, David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Now, David just is, he's up there praying and weeping and worshiping God, <clears throat> trying to be away, trying to be alone, trying to be, uh, trying to get away for prayer. That's what Jesus did too. Jesus went up on the Mount of Olives to be alone, to be weeping and to have a time of prayer. I believe. So we see David mirroring that how important it is to seek God out in your worst times. And then he's told that one of his chief commanders, Ahithophel, is now against you. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So in other words, God doesn't ask for judgment on his own son. He just says, let it be foolish for these guys because they're not with you either. They're not with you. It's a very strategic request. He's not trying to pass judgment on anybody else. He's as humble as he can get. But he's he, the only thing he's saying is let this counsel from this man be just foolishness because he's not in the word. He needs to be seeking your word. Verse 32, while David was coming to their summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. And David said to him, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant, and then you will defeat for me, the house of Ahithophel. <clears throat> so, Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So, David's friend is going back to the city like David asked him. And so, David feels that Hushai can be a little bit more helpful him in the city. Maybe he'll learn what Absalom's doing. So, now we come to chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 1, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, now remember, Mephibosheth, 
was Jonathan's son. Remember, Jonathan is Saul's son, who is heir to the throne. Jonathan dies in battle alongside with his father. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, who was crippled, and David took him into his own house and took care of Mephibosheth and let him have a seat at his table with all of his father's all of his father's uh Jonathan's you know all the things that he was of all the possessions of his household and he told Ziba to continue being his servant so now Ziba is Mephibosheth's servant and so now David goes a little bit beyond the uh, the summit here from the Mount of Olives, and now he runs into Ziba. Now Mephibosheth is this crippled little boy back in his own household, but he runs into Ziba, and Ziba has a couple of donkeys saddle bearing 200 loaves of bread, a 100 bunches of raisins, a 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine, and the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. Ziba's helping him. And the king said, Where is your master's son? In other words, your master referring to Saul, who's dead, his son... Let's see, your master, that would be, I suppose, Jonathan was your master's son, Jonathan, because Jonathan was son of Saul. So your master's son would be Mephibosheth. So he's asking him where the heck is Mephibosheth. Because he's being met out there. He's being met out there with, uh, you know, the servant Ziba. He's probably saying, where is Mephibosheth? But he wants to know, what's he doing? Is he safe? Ziba says to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Now, Ziba's reporting that Mephibosheth is now saying he's going to be in line for the throne. He's not loyal to David, even though he's been sitting at David's table all this time. And then the king said to Ziba, this is David, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. Now, is Ziba telling the truth? Is Ziba taking advantage of David on the run, bringing him all this stuff, getting his own freedom? Or is Ziba doing something to honor the king like he should? where Mephibosheth is now against David. We don't know the answer to that. So, my study Bible might say, it has put a note here that David is judged too quickly without the opportunity to hear a defense from the accused Mephibosheth. But we'll see it maybe as time goes on through this study. But in any event, that's where it is. 
So David judges Mephibosheth. He figures he's against him too. Verse 5. When King David came to Barham, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul. So now we got another situation from the house of Saul, whose name was um, Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David. And all the servants of David, of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said, <clears throat> as he cursed, <clears throat> Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. And the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into your hand and your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you're a man of blood. This guy is calling him out. He's calling out the sins of his own household. Just like Nathan did. Verse 9. Then Abishah. Now, who's Abishah? Abishah is one of King David's commanders. The son of Zerah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Abishah is ready to do something. But the king said, this is King David, verse 10, what have I to do with you, you sons of uh, Zariah? So he's saying, no, 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 no. What, what do I have to do? What do I have to do with you? You know, I know you're eager to help me, but I can't do it. If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold, my own son sinks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. So in other words, he's saying, look, what do I, what do I have to do with you guys? No more. He's saying, stop fighting right now. You guys don't understand. I'm searching for the Lord's forgiveness. I am searching for peace. My heart is broken, don't you guys know? My own son is trying to kill me, seeking my own life. He's cursing me like crazy. That's enough. This guy doesn't matter to me. And if he is cursing me, it's probably because God told him to. And who am I? try to shut him up or cut off his head when God's telling him to curse me. I should be cursed. So, they leave this guy alone and he's still throwing stones and cursing and yelling at him. It's a terrible situation. Now, verse 15. Now, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Atitophel, Ahithophel came with him. Now, Ahithophel was one of David's former commanders who has now betrayed David. And when Hushai, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is your loyalty to your friend? Why do you not go with your friend? So Hushai's coming in saying, You know, I'm going to be loyal to you. And then Absalom, like, doesn't believe him. Like, why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, 
For whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. In other words, he's saying, look, I don't choose the ruler. God chooses the ruler. I'm here. Now remember, David told him to go in and say these things. So he's there sort of to, as like a spy, I suppose. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What should we do? So Absalom is asking Ahithophel, who betrayed David. Ahithophel is looking for his opportunity to get power. Absalom is looking for his opportunity to get power. Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you've made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. In other words, go there and dwell in your own, your own father's house, and it's going to show everybody that, you know, you take over his house, you got to be king. And not only do you take over his house, pitch your tent on the roof so that you can see you're sort of marking your spot with the concubines of your father's house so all Israel can see your tent is on the roof. So all you got to do is walk by, see Absalom's tent up there, and you know that Absalom is having his way with his father's household. And in that day and time, that would have been such a terrible scandal to have done that to your father's house. Um, so... He does this so everybody in Israel could see. And it could have been, as my study Bible says, the very same rooftop that King David viewed Bathsheba from. And the sin there that um, he committed with Bathsheba on the rooftop is the same, could have been the same rooftop that now Absalom is committing the same sin. So it's it, again we're getting back to this thing where unresolved sin and unresolved forgiveness has a way of circling right back on you. And now David is being hunted by his own son just like he was hunted by Saul and David's own son murders his own brother just like David murders Uriah and now David's own son is committing this adulterous action just like David did. So again, we've got coveting, seeking power, popularity, one's own pride. You can covet so much. You can cover material things. You can cover the um, covet the emotions of others. Man, coveting is probably. I mean, if we, if we look at covet, that's probably it covers so many sins. Look how 
easy it is to covet somebody else's possessions. You can covet somebody else's wife, somebody else's position or power or pride or popularity. You can covet the praise that is due somebody else. And then we get into the sins that are not so obvious, maybe under the under the uh, radar sins, because covet's pretty easy to see. We call those people hypocrites. We call those people out, you know, obnoxious. But somebody else under the radar, adultery. You don't see that as much. Or murder. You don't see that as much either. You have to get discovered. But all of these sins are coming back 360. Unresolved sin and unresolved forgiveness. As we just said, David's on the run from Absalom, just like from Saul. His own son is coveting power. His own son is coveting popularity. His own son is coveting with pride, the praise, do another, just like Saul. Absalom, killing Ammon, just like David killed Uriah. Absalom, committing adultery just on the roof, just like Dad did. It's all the same. So now, Absalom and all the people, the men came to Is- of Israel... And Hittophel came with him, and um, so they're up there. And this is where we leave the chapter today. They're doing this in the sight of all Israel. So we'll turn the rest of the podcast over to our co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing your take on this great study today. And as always, from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ on this great spiritual battlefield. And we'll see you here next time tomorrow as we continue our study through the book of 2 Samuel. God bless you all. And as always, our prayers go up for sweet Emma and sweet Jean. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from 2 Samuel chapter 15 beginning at verse 1 all the way through to 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through to verse 23. So, last in our last study, we saw that after David committed, you know, that horrible sin that he committed, he came, trouble came to him, you know, pretty quick, like very fast. As he had sinned, sin came into his own family. So God doesn't let his children get by with sin. He chastens them. He chastens us. In this, in this case, that's what happened to David. So in chapter 15, we find that Absalom leads a rebellion against David, against his own father. So, you know, we have Absalom. He was, you know, David's favorite son and you know David should have wanted Absalom to actually um, take over from him so here we have Absalom who actually um, 
decided to take medicine in his own hand and he murdered his brother Amnon and um, because Amnon had raped his sister Tama so um, when this incident happened David didn't do anything about it uh, when um, his daughter Tama was raped by his son uh, Amnon and so you know this was actually made aware um, of you know to David but David didn't do anything about it and this you know angered um, Absalom and Absalom took matters in his own hand he felt you know that was the best course of action he could actually do since no one was doing anything about it so Absalom we also see that after he murdered his brother Amnon he fled to Gisha that's where his um, mother was initially from, from the king of Gisha. She was a daughter to the king of Gisha. And again, David didn't really do much about it. He longed for Absalom's return, and he didn't do much about it until David was actually kind of like tricked into um, letting Absalom come back. So Absalom, you know, in a subtle, in a very subtle way, he begins to when he comes back to Jerusalem, he begins to steal the hearts of the children of Israel. He was, you know, a lot like David in many ways. And he was the successor to David. He and he begins to secretly plot to overthrow his father, David. So scripture reads verse one. I'll read all the way to verse six and it says After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or case, sorry, suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice and so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put his hand and take him and kiss him verse 6 in the in this manner absalom acted towards all israel who came to the king for judgment so absalom stole the hearts of the men of israel okay so absalom is you know, he's a true politician. He's playing politics here. And this is how, you know, a lot of politicians and men get elected. Because they go around, you know, patting people on the back and just telling them, you know, um, things that they would not do. And that's how people get elected to office. So they have people today, our politicians, they have no qualifications of even making a single change in people's lives. Other than them actually going out and shaking their hands and that's what he was doing he was standing there at the busiest gate 
of the city and shaking their hands and them and kissing them and uh, this sort of thing is what happens is what actually appeals to us you know a charming and charismatic politician you know without us even considering what is this politician going to do for us so absalom is preparing for a rebellion against his own father david verse 7 goes on to read now it came to pass after 40 years that absalom said to the king please let me go to hebron and pay the vow which i made to the lord Absalom sends a message to the king that he wants to go to Hebron. Verse 8 goes on to read, For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Kisha in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel saying as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet then you shall say Absalom reigns in Hebron so David began in Hebron he was first king in Hebron so Absalom goes down there and begins his rebellion verse 11 goes on to read and when and with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem and they went along innocently and did not know anything so 200 men came along you know to Absalom and they didn't know that rebellion was prepared against David verse 12 goes on to read then Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite David's counselor from his city from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. So, this rebellion gained momentum and they had a great company and Ahithophel was in the inner circle. You know, he was David's part of David's council. He was in the inner circle of David, and he was a partner to all of this. And before David actually realizes what's happening, there's a you know there's a rebellion ongoing. Verse thirteen goes on to read: Now, a messenger came to David, saying, "The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom." So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtakes us. Does he, yeah, he, he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword? So David will actually flee from Jerusalem now, but you know, why? did he actually flee because he loved jerusalem so why not just you know take a stand in the city and defend it from absalom um reasons are david knew that god was actually punishing him for his sin and if we go down all the way to verse 25 it reads then the king said to zodak zadok sorry 
carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. So David knew what was actually happening to him was a judgment coming from God. And then, you know, back in chapter 13, verses 13 and 14 of Second Samuel, it reads, However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then, sorry, um, verse 13 and 14, yeah. And I were, and I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you should be like one of the fools of Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. So um, David was actually disgraced by this sin. And this, you know, was an awful thing that actually happened within his family and he was king. So David wanted to spare life in the city. So the scandal had actually taken place in that city and he wanted to actually save the city. So David had stayed in Jerusalem when he should um have been out with the army, you know, at the time um, of the great sin of Bathsheba. And then David also, you know, another reason why he decided to leave Jerusalem, David loved Jerusalem and he didn't want to see the city he built and loved become the scene of battle, even if, like, it's going to be destroyed. Um eventually, more than any other city because of um, their rebellion. Okay, so we drop down to verse, all the way to verse 30. Verse 30 reads, So David went up by the ascent of of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up, and he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. As they went up. So David wanted to spare the city. He didn't want it to become a scene of battle. David was also not ready to actually press the issue with Absalom. He wanted to spare the life of Absalom. And we'll actually see this in the next chapter. So this city was just Jerusalem was actually destroyed more than any other city um of its because of its rebellion you know later on we're going to see that in a different study so david's life is here now in grave danger and this is actually not new to david he was more concerned with his own relationship to god and to his son absalom so we drop back to verse 19 and verse 19 reads then the king said to Itai the Gittite, Why are you going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile. 
from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy, truth be with you. So, um, here we're looking at an incident that actually happened. This we just want to highlight that this man um, that had come into the city, the Gittite, um, he told him not to actually follow him. So it's just one of um, the many incidences that um, actually happened. Um, and David made like, some pretty wise decisions. Verse 21 goes on to read. But um, Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai and Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. So David had, you know, he had many, many loyal followers. This is one of the incidences that actually show, you know, his many loyal followers that were willing to lay down their lives for him. Verse 23 goes on to read, And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and uh, Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. So David recognized what was actually happening to him, like we actually mentioned earlier, and that it was judgment, the judgment of God. And he actually sends the ark back. And when he went out, he went weeping over the Mount of Olives. So David knew exactly that, you know, it was judgment of God for his heinous sin of murder and adultery that he had actually committed. And the Lord was angry with him. With him. <clears throat> Verse 31. I'm going to drop down all the way and it reads, Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel, so Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So God did just that, actually. He turned the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So David didn't ask here, like, if you notice, didn't ask for any judgment upon his son Absalom. Because he loved his son Absalom and he was very... Um, distressed with the whole incident verse 32 goes on to read now it happened when david had come to the top of the mountain where 
he worshipped God. There was Hushai the Archite coming to meet him with the with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. <clears throat> so, um, we have here um, David's good friend. Um, David's good friend, he shy and David sends him to go back and not go with David. Let me drop down all the way to verse 37. Verse 37 goes on to read, so who shy David's friend went into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Now we come to chapter 16 and chapter 16 verse 1 goes on to read, when David was little past the top of the mountain there was Zibor the servant of Mephibosheth who met him with a couple of saddled donkey and on them 200 loaves of bread 100 clusters of raisins 100 summer fruits and a skin of wine and the king said to Zibor what do you mean to do with these so Zibor said the donkeys for the king's household to ride on the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink so here you know david had actually given good treatment to zyber and zyber was um mephibosheth's um you know servant and Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son who David showed mercy on and kept like a prince. Verse 5 goes on to read. Then we drop down. Verse 5 and 3 is now. When King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of Saul, from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left hand. So uh, Shaimei said, thus when you cursed Sorry, and he said, sorry, that's when he cursed. Come out, come out, you bloody, you bloodthirsty man, you rouge. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because... You are a bloodthirsty man. So this man here, um, you know, he also betrayed David. He was from the house of Saul. So what he's actually saying is true. Any 
part. It's actually true. So David was a bloody man and judgment was coming upon him. But this man is cursing David. <laughs> Verse 9 goes on to read. I'm going to drop it down. Yeah. Verse 9 uh, yeah, reads, Then um, Abishai, the son of Zeru, um, Zerupiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you son of Zerupiah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, Curse, David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? Verse 11, And David said to Abishai and all the servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him so the you know the point is david you know the point that david is making here is saying he doesn't mind an outsider cursing him and he won't take revenge on him the thing happening to him is a judgment because i mean like coming from his own son if his son is doing this how much more like an outsider um so what's happening to him is a judgment of god and what disturbs him is his own son is leading a rebellion against him. Verse 15 goes on to read, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai, 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 yeah, sorry, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom and who. Shai, Hushaya, said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushaya, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushaya said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him. I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in your father's presence? So will I be in the in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, "Give advice as to what we should do." And Ahithophel said to Absalom, "Go in." To your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hand of all who are with you will be strong. So he they pitched a tent for Absalom, Absalom, on the top of the house, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines. In the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel which he gave in those days was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So 
was all the advice of Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. So we see Absalom take Jerusalem here and Ahithophel was the man David had actually trusted and David is back outside in the caves. So we'll see that Absalom will try to get a victory, like you know, it studies a victory over David's forces and David. He was a skilled, rugged man who knew how to fight because he learned this when he was being pursued by Saul. And Absalom is doing a very dangerous thing to go after his father David. So David wanted to save his son as he loved him so. But, you know, in the end, um, Absalom... We shall see what happens when he follows David into battle. But, you know, with sin, as in this teaching, with the sin, like, um, God always chastens his own. So God just doesn't let it get, doesn't let his own get by. He always turns back and chases his own because, um, our God is a just God. He is a merciful God and know with his children when they come back sin and come back god always finds a way to chasten them to 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 straighten them out and this is what he did to david and david not one single time did he whine and pine about you know what was actually happening in his life and you know in our lives when um we do something we do expect you know that punishment to actually come one day it doesn't mean god doesn't love us anymore it means god is straightening us out because of the sin we actually committed so people just don't get by with it um eventually it actually does catch up it eventually um comes back and um and um and yeah god actually um does chasten his own so you know, there's something that um, my podcast partner actually mentioned. He says, um, the pain of unresolved um, sin. This is a powerful study today because, you know, there's this unresolved sin that is in our lives. And we tend to think we are getting by with it. But it actually comes back. And we may not realize it, but... Um, God is actually working his way in our lives to actually straighten us out because our God is a God of justice and mercy. Okay, so this is our teaching for today. Thank you all for listening and God bless you all and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.